is up, Christ Walk. How's everybody doing this morning? I said, how's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, that's more like it. That's more like it. Man, thank you guys so much for being here today. I am, I, if, to say that I'm pumped about this series is the understatement of the year. And I know that we're just in February, but like I could say that if it was December of this year. Like I am so, so excited about kicking off this series doing things that matter. It's going to be an incredible time over the next four weeks together. I believe God's going to teach us. He's going to challenge us, and we're going to be encouraged and empowered to just do some incredible things together. And I'm going to walk alongside you over the next four weeks and show you how you can do something that matters. So if you've got your Bible or you've got a smart device, um, you want to either turn with us or swipe with us this morning to Genesis Chapter 37, we're going to land there in, um, in just a few minutes, we'll land there. So, uh, doing things that matter. Week one, we're going to talk about dreaming wildly, dreaming wildly. And by the way, um, you guys probably noticed in the seat that you sat in, there's a small card, it looks like this. Um, on one side, it has some, some words and stuff. On the back side, for anybody that wants to take notes this morning, there's a spot there for you to do that. And I want to encourage you to um, grab a pen and write some stuff down uh, today. So um, I've got this list of names on my computer. In, in fact, it's, it's, it's just this document, and it has 24 names on it, in fact. And the first one, the first name that's on there uh, the first name on this particular list was added back in 1940. Back in 1940. And to be honest, um, it, it's just a last name. It's the last name Jones. So I've spent a little bit of time over the past few weeks, like my imagination has kind of run wild as to who this person might be. You know, Jones, it could be anybody. And so I've tried to think of like, you know, maybe attaching a first name to it. I don't know why there's not a first name. Like maybe this guy's parents really didn't like him. Or, you know, maybe, maybe they did. I don't know. I wasn't around. Like maybe they didn't give out first names in 1940. Like maybe that's kind of a new concept, you know. But I've started to imagine like who this person might be. And I, I thought like maybe, maybe Tom, Tom Jones. That, that's not unusual though. Um, then I thought, oh, Indiana. That's probably it, Indiana Jones. And then I thought, wait a minute. It's definitely James Earl. Definitely James Earl Jones is on this list. So James Earl Jones, the voice of Darth Vader. Yes, we all know and love, very near and dear to our hearts is on this list of 24 people that I have. Um, 15 of these people were put on this list before I was even born. Um, I, I hadn't even been thought of yet, and there were 15 of the people on this list. Out of the 24 people on the list, I only know one of them. I've only met one of them, and, and um, he's a great, great man. But out of those 24 people that I only know one of, I would dare say that I have something in common with each and every one of those 24. 
the 24 people on this list, they set out to do something that mattered with their life. The 24 names that are on this list are the 24 pastors in the history of Christ Walk Church. Or some of you may know it as Bailey Road Church of God, and some of you may even know it before it was even that sometime long ago when it first broke ground in 1940. And today, in a very surreal, anxious, exciting, nauseous moment, I'm incredibly humbled and honored to take this platform as the 25th name on that list, the 25th pastor of this incredible church. So like those guys, you know, they set out to do something that mattered. It's the reason this church began back in 1940, because God placed a dream, a vision in someone's heart that he wanted him to do something that mattered. And then it's, it's perpetuated up to this point. But each and every one of those 24 before me have done something that I hope to do someday. Should the Lord tarry, should he hold off in coming back, I hope that I can accomplish something that they accomplished. And that was simply this. They were able to pass the torch to the next guy. Each and every one of those people, and the jury is still out for me. Like, we don't know. Like, I've never pastored a church before. So we don't know, like, how good I'm going to be at it or how long this is going to last. You know, like, I just may, like, burn the joint down today in my inexperience. And, you know, I don't know. I need you guys to help me through this and us walk this together. But each one of those guys, they managed to pass the torch along to someone else. They, they did something. They, they left a legacy. They were able to, to create something that outlasted them. Each one of those guys pushed the ball down the field a little bit further, and they created something that mattered. And I hope to be able to do the same someday, pass the torch along to some young whippersnapper that thinks he knows everything, and so that I can leave a legacy and be a part of something that outlasts me. You know, adding my name to this list this morning, it, it fulfills a dream in my life, in my heart. A dream that started some 22 years ago, almost to the day, in fact. Just come, we're coming up on, um, you know, just a few more weeks. 22 years ago that I was at a student ministry conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And I can't tell you who was speaking or, or anything like that. I don't remember anything about the service. I wasn't even, I was there because there were girls there. That's why I went and um, the speaker that night invited anybody that felt called into full-time vocational ministry to come forward, and they wanted to pray for us. And I was literally halfway down to the front of the place before I knew what was going on. I, I, I stopped, I froze when I realized what was happening, and I looked back at my youth pastor, and he literally, I kid you not, he literally said these words, what are you doing? <laughs> so like, thanks for that vote of confidence. But I went and I knelt and I prayed with some people that night and I, I don't remember anything else about that evening except for one thing. And that is I said yes to God's call in my life. I said, God, whatever you have for me, that's what I want. And I set out on a journey at that point to do something that mattered. And that was a dream that started 22 years ago, but, but there was other dreams that have taken place 
during those 22 years. And, and one of them was very recently, um, back in like March of 2017, I think it was, um, Sarah and I, we had, we had driven to Tennessee and we had dropped the kids off for their spring break. And we were driving back to our home in St. Louis, Missouri. And we were driving through um, Kentucky and Indiana. And it was, it was just us in the car and it was quiet because there was no one in the back seat that needed to use the bathroom or needed a drink of water or he's on my side and they're, you know, punching and kicking and all that stuff. I want to watch this movie. No, I want to watch this movie. She won't leave me alone. There was none of that going on. So for, for one, you know, for just a brief moment in time, we got a chance to talk to each other. So we had the radio turned off and everything. All you could hear was, you know, just the sound of tires on pavement. And we're, you know, we're just cruising through um, these uh, very sparsely inhabited areas of Kentucky and Indiana, and, and we began to talk, and, and out of that conversation, we began to ask questions that started with, what if? What if? And then, you know, and we just went back and forth, back and forth, and we began to dream in that car that day. And little did we know in March of 2017 that the dream that we were dreaming was about this place and was about all of you. That's the dream that we had. And so today, in your presence, this is a dream fulfilled in my life and in my ministry and in the life of my family. But we don't look at it as a culmination of anything. We look at it as a new beginning. We're embarking on this new journey. We're turning a page this morning, stepping out into the next chapter, the next season that God has for us. And much like those 24 that came before me who stood in this place once upon a time that have done the same thing, we're here to carry on the torch. We stand on the shoulders of giants. We, we rest upon the foundation that they have built all the way since 1940. So we springboard into the future. And you know, those, those guys in essence, each one of them, they were just interim pastors, really. I mean, like, they weren't like the, the end. They were the means to the end. And today I step into this place as simply, I'm just a means to an end. I am not the end. I'm just an interim pastor. And I've got about 35 years of ministry left before I think I need to hang it up, you know, if I make it that far. So unless the Lord like writes it in the sky a couple times and tells me and Sarah that we need to move on elsewhere, you get to look at this ugly mug for the next 35 years. <laughs> so you better just get used to it. But see, those guys, you know, the 24 that came before me, there's something interesting about them and, and what they were able to do. And that's, that's this, this thing that I've been thinking a lot about here lately and, and really is the, kind of the reason behind this series that we're, that we're embarking upon today. And that is, uh, out to the side of each of their names, there's, there's a couple dates. And, and the first date is the day that they started, and the last date is the day that they finished. But it's not even those things that I'm really concerned about. There's, there's something else that's there. And, and if we're not careful, we can, just, we can just look right over it. It's this small, this tiny little insignificant thing. It's a dash in between each of those things. Now, you might be familiar with this dash maybe in a different capacity. Maybe you've been to a funeral, like the death of a loved one or something, and you've seen it on like a little card, you know, printed in, in memorial, and it's a, it's a beginning date or an end date. Or maybe you've gone to visit... Um, You've gone to visit a, a, a graveside or whatever in a cemetery, and you've seen it on a, on a headstone. You've seen this date and a dash, and then this other date. And really, the, the first date and the second date, they represent a total of 48 hours in someone's life. 
That's not very much. That's not very significant. But then the smallest piece of information that we're given, the dash, it represents this whole ton of stuff. This, your entire life is summed up into this little tick mark in between two 24-hour uh, time periods. And I don't know about you, but at the end of my days, when they etch that into my headstone as they lay me to rest, I want people to stand around and say, man, that dash counted for something. That guy was a guy who did something that mattered. And the good news is, is that if you don't feel like you've arrived at that place yet, you don't feel like that your dash really counts for anything, the good news is, is that until they etch that second date, you still have time to do something that matters. And it all starts with a dream. You know, chances are you've had a dream at some point in your life. Maybe you dreamed of getting a college degree or writing a book or becoming a professional athlete, or flying to the moon, or if you're like me, maybe you've had the dream of becoming an Olympic curling champion. <laughs> I love the Winter Olympics. I could watch curling 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and never get tired of it. It is amazing. You don't even have to be athletic to do it. You just have to be able to like push a rock down some ice and sweep the floor, and you've got it. You know, half of it is like household chores. It's great. But somewhere along the way, many of us, despite the dreams that we've had, those dreams, they, they fell short. We stopped dreaming at some point and we started to settle. Life got busy and the limitations increased and we began to say things or think things like, we just don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources. We're not, we're not young enough anymore. We're not healthy enough anymore or whatever and fill in the blank with all kinds of things that we've said or thought. And what happened is over time, our excuses became our reality for us not fulfilling the dreams that we had in our life. And at some point over the years, maybe you've allowed one of these, one or more of these five dream killers to creep in to your life. Maybe you want to write these down. These are five things that the enemy uses to kill our dreams. Number one, first dream killer is fear. We allow fear to kill our dreams. And, and uh, uh, a lot of people think, yeah, fear, like we're, we're afraid to fail. That's, that's a reason why we don't fulfill our dreams. But did you know that there's also such a thing as fear of success? Like, not just what would happen if we fail, but what would happen if we succeed? And then now we're a celebrity, and like everyone knows us and loves us, and oh man, we have to perpetuate this and keep this thing going, and so we never get it off the ground to begin with. Isn't that crazy? Fear of accomplishing the very thing we'd set out to accomplish, the very thing that we've dreamed of, and that that holds us back and keeps us from embarking upon our dream. The second one, insecurity, says things like, I'm not good enough, and I'm certainly not as good as the other guy. You know, we begin to compare ourselves, and then since I can't be as good as him or as good as her, I just won't even start, I won't even try. Fear, insecurity. The third one, uncertainty. 
uncertainty, this we, if we don't know what's going to happen and, and, and we, can't, we can't imagine what the next steps are and, and w- leads us to not being able to make a decision and we go back and forth and everything and then uh, this turns into analysis or paralysis by analysis and we just get frozen and, and we never do take a step one way or the other. The fourth one would be inertia. Yeah, who knew we were going to talk about science up in here? Inertia. The, uh, inertia would, would, would say that any object at rest tends to stay at rest. See, that means that things want to naturally stay the way that they are. And then because even though we have this dream in our heart, if it requires us to like get up and do something, eh, I'll just sit here on the couch. It's a whole lot easier. You know? Because we want things to just stay the way that we are. Nothing is going to happen just on its own. We actually have to do something. And then finally, this is a huge one, the fifth dream killer, your past. Your past. We look at all of the reasons that we failed or fallen short in our past, and we think we can never be good enough to live up to the dream that God is calling us to. And those are the things that kill our dreams and keep us from ever fulfilling them. There's a, a wise theologian by the name of Walt Disney. That's funny. Guys, you can laugh. It's okay. The jokes will get better over the next 35 years, I promise. There we go. He said, <laughs> he said, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. And Walt Disney, I, he, he was the guy that he had the courage to, to pursue a dream that he had that when he flew over 47 square miles, some 30,000 acres of terrible swampland in, in Orlando that nobody else wanted, he looked at that and he said, yeah, that's the place. People had discounted that and they said, this property is worthless. The very first acre that he bought for Walt Disney World, do you know what it cost him? An acre of land in Lake Buena Vista. You know what it cost him? $80. You know what the last acre cost him? $80,000. And now we go there and we pay all kinds of money to eat their food and ride their rides and just have an experience because somebody along the way dared to dream of what could be. What could be? Would you say that he's made a difference? Has Walt Disney made a difference in anyone's life? Regardless of how you'd answer that question, one thing is for sure, he's left a legacy because he hasn't been around for a long time, but yet we still visit his theme park every year. We watch his movies. We wear his merchandise. Our kids are inundated with it. He managed to leave a legacy because he pursued a dream that was in his heart. And here's the deal. If you and I, if we're going to do something that matters, it's going to require us to dream wildly. If we're going to do something that matters, it starts with us dreaming a wild dream. Enter this Bible character named Joseph. Some of you have probably heard about him. We find his story um, beginning in Genesis chapter 37. It's the very first, um, first book of the Old Testament and it tells of not just the beginning of time, but the, the establishment of people. And it steers us um, to, into the direction where, where the people of God became the people of God. The, the country that you and I now know as 
Israel. Those were God's chosen originally, the, the Jews, the Hebrews. They were, they were God's chosen people. And Genesis tells the story of kind of how they got their start and how they came together. And we go all the way back to this patriarch, this guy named Abraham. Some of you have heard of him. Abraham, just one day the Lord spoke to him and said, get up and go. And this is crazy. Like it had never really happened before. And so Abraham begins to pursue this dream that God has placed in his life. And then Abraham, he has a son named Isaac. And Isaac has two sons named Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, he tricks his brother into selling him his birthright for a bowl of soup. That's a different story for a different day. He deceives his father into giving the blessing of the firstborn to him, even though he was born second. And, and then he goes on and, and he, he uh, starts uh, working for his, his uncle Laban, and Laban has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And this was like back in a time where it wasn't weird to like your cousin. And so I know it's crazy. You can read all about this in, in this book. And um, uh, so, so Jacob falls in love with Rachel, the younger of the two daughters. And he makes a deal with Laban. He works for him for seven years in, um, in the hopes of having, uh, uh, being able to take Rachel's hand in marriage. And Laban returns the favor by tricking him because Jacob was the deceiver. Then he gets deceived and he tricks him into marrying his eldest daughter, Leah. And he says, in our country, in our region, the custom is the younger daughter can't get married before the older daughter. So he tricks him into marrying Leah and he wakes up the morning after his wedding and he realizes, oh my goodness, what has happened? I mean, how drunk did the guy have to be? <laughs> and so he ends up working for another seven years to get Rachel to be his wife. And Rachel, God's word tells us, Rachel is the wife that Jacob loved. Early on, she was barren. She couldn't have kids. And so, so um, Leah is having all of the children, these, 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 young, these young men. And then um, uh, Leah's, Leah's maidservant, a concubine of Jacob's, then fathers some children as well, or, or um, ha has some children. He, he fathers some children through her. And then, and then Rachel still can't have children. And so um, she gives Jacob her maidservant. And so through a concubine, he has children with them. And then finally, in Jacob's old age... Rachel becomes pregnant and gives birth to a baby boy that they name Joseph. And then we pick up the story right here in Genesis 37. Verse 1, it says, Jacob lived in the land of Canaan where his father had lived. This is the family history of Jacob. Joseph was a young man, 17 years old. He and his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, cared for the flocks. Joseph gave his father bad reports about his brothers. Since Joseph was born, when his father Israel was old, Israel loved him more than his other sons. He made Joseph a special robe with long sleeves. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father loved him more than he loved them, they hated their brother and could not speak to him politely. I love this part. Of this, of this passage right here. The beginning of verse 5. This is like what really strikes a chord with me today. It says, one time Joseph had a dream. Maybe you want to underline that. You want to circle it. You want to write it down. One time Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. Joseph said, listen to the dream I had. We were in the field tying bundles of wheat together. My bundle stood up and your bundles of wheat gathered around it and bowed down to it. And his brother said, do you really think that you will be king over us? Do you truly think that you will rule over us? His brothers hated him even more because of, what his, uh, because of his dreams and what he had said. 
And then Joseph had another dream, and he told his brothers about it also. He said, listen, I had another dream. I saw the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowing down to me. Joseph also told his father about this dream, but his father scolded him, saying, what kind of dream is this? Do you really believe that your mother, your brothers, and I will bow down to you? Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, but his father thought about what all these things could mean. One time, Joseph had a dream. You've probably been like him. One time, you probably had a dream as well. And let me warn you, before we go any further in the story, there is danger in dreaming. There is, dreaming is very dangerous because it sets you up to face a lot of adversity. Whenever you have a dream placed in your heart and whenever you set out to accomplish that dream, there are going to be other people in your life, people that you thought were aligned with you, people that you thought were on your side, people that may have even, because I've had this happen to me, people that may have even communicated with their mouth to you that God was going to fulfill that dream in your life. When you communicate, I've had this dream and now I'm stepping forth to do something about it, people will say, that's not your dream. That's not what God has for you. You shouldn't be doing that. You need to stay away from that. And they will turn their back on you and they will not rest. The enemy will use them to see to it that you never fulfill your dreams. It happened for Joseph. See, it was after these dreams had taken place that Joseph's brothers, they were out, they were taking care of the flocks. And Jacob, who wrestled with God, his name was called Israel. That's where we get this country of Israel, this, this lineage, this establishment of God's people. God changed his name to Israel. Israel called Jacob to him one day and he said, I need you to go out into the fields and check on your brothers. Remember, these are the brothers that hated him. They hated him because he was his father's favorite. They hated him because he had the robe with long sleeves. Or maybe those of you remember it in Sunday school, it was the coat of many colors. Maybe you've seen the Broadway musical in all of its glory. I don't know. But you see Joseph in a particular light there. And, and he sends him out to go check on his brothers. And his brothers, they see him coming from some distance away. And they say, oh, here comes that dreamer. See, he was labeled by the thing that God had placed in his heart. That he was a dreamer. That God had given him a dream. He, he began to be labeled by it in a negative way. And people, his own family, hated him because of the dream that God, is, that God had given him. And they, they saw him coming from afar and they got together and the brothers said, let's kill Joseph. And we'll see what happens, what comes about this dream that he has dreamed. And one of the brothers, Reuben, he steps forward and he says, no, no, no. Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit. What a brother, right? You know, hey, thanks. <laughs> so they throw him in this pit, and some Ishmaelite traders come along, and they end up selling him to the Ishmaelites as a slave. And the Ishmaelites take him on to Egypt, and they take that coat with long sleeves or that coat of many colors, his brothers do, and they rip it to shreds, and they take a wild animal like a goat or something, and they kill it, and they dip it all in the blood and everything, and they take it back to their father, and they say, look, this is what we found. This is what happened to Joseph. Because they believed that if they could get rid of him, that it would kill the dream that God had placed in Joseph's heart. 
And at this point in the story, as you and I read together, we may think, man, this seems like a bad situation. But I'm here to tell you that in the midst of all this adversity, in the midst of everything that's going wrong here, God was up to something. God was setting Joseph up for something incredible to happen. And we fast forward all the way to the end of the story. I'm going to tell you where we're headed over the next four weeks. We come to Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph tells his brothers, he said, You meant to hurt me, but God turned your evil into good to save the lives of many people, which is being done. You meant to hurt me, but God used your evil and turned it into good to do something in and through this, and now my dream is fulfilled. Joseph had been set up, and I can't help but stop and wonder that maybe you and I are being set up too. That maybe, just maybe, God is up to something in our lives. Maybe the situation that you sit here today, that you're facing head on in front of you, maybe that is the very situation that will ultimately turn into the catalyst for the dream that God has placed in your heart to be fulfilled. I believe that that very well could be the case. Let's go back to... Verse 3 of our passage in Genesis 37, it says, Since Joseph was born when his father Israel was old, Israel loved him more than his other sons. He was his father's favorite. And it says he made Joseph a special robe with long sleeves. This is significant because this is something that they would give to a king. This is uh, uh, something that points toward royalty. It was clear that Joseph was elevated, that he was set apart. Maybe it was a coat of, of many colors, but here's, here's uh, the, the significance of that. Whether it was a, a robe of, of long sleeves or a coat of many colors or both, the typical person um, in this day and age, they would have a, it would, it would be like this long rectangle of fabric. Okay, so if you can just imagine this with me. And in the middle of that, there would be a slit cut in it. And they would put their head through that slit. And then part of the fabric would hang to the front. And part of the fabric would hang to the back. And then they would take like a belt of leather or something. And they would bind it together. And that was their robe. And it was probably something ugly like brown. You know. And then here comes Joseph. And he's got this elegant crafted by hand, like custom tailored robe that's colorful, like red and yellow and green and orange and blue, all these beautiful colors. And I think maybe it was like bedazzled with like rhinestones. So he sparkled in the sunshine. And it had these long sleeves, you know, like he was getting ready to receive a doctoral degree. You know, they had the things that hung off of them, you know, and like stripes on the side. And then he steps in, and, you know, they're sitting there in their brown sackcloth. <laughs> and they look at Joseph in this coat, and they hate him. You hate him too. I hate him when I read this story. He was a turd. He was. <laughs> because he, he used that to his advantage, and he lorded it over his brothers. And then he had the audacity to have a dream where they bowed down. And then not only did he have the audacity to have that dream, he had the audacity to tell them about it. How dare you come in here, you little punk? But God had chosen Joseph. It wasn't just his father that had chosen him 
and elevated him and set him apart. It was his father that had chosen him and elevated him and set him apart. And I believe that you and I, we are walking the same path of Joseph today, that you and I together, we have been by our heavenly father, we have been chosen and we have been elevated and we have been set apart to do something incredible, to fulfill the dream that he has placed in our heart together. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 1, Verse 5, it says, before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. This is talking about us. You were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You have been chosen by God. You have been made a royal priest. You've been elevated Royalty is above everyone else. And then you are a holy nation. Holy means consecrated, sanctified, set apart for a special work. I refuse to believe that you and I were put on this spinning rock just to exist. God did not put us here just for us to take up some space and breathe for about 70 years or so and then get put in the ground. That's not why we are here. We are here because he has chosen us and called us and elevated us and put us in a place to do something that matters with our life. So that when our time comes and and our days on this earth is over, that we get to leave behind a legacy, that we get to pass along something to someone else. We get to pass the torch, pass the baton, and that our dash counts for something that we know that we've done something that mattered. Because doing something that matters, it requires us first to dream a wild dream. What if together, what if you and I, with expectation, begin to dream for the impossible to happen? Things that By human hands and by human means and through cognitive thought, we would look at it and we would say, there's no way. What if we began to dream those kind of dreams? You guys know the kind of things. When I say impossible, you begin to think of things that can't even happen. Luke 1 and 37 says, Jesus looked at them and said, for people, this is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. It may seem impossible to you, but God just may be setting you up here today. He just may be putting a dream in your heart that he wants to use you to accomplish something that everybody else on the outside looking in would say, that is impossible. And you can say, it is for me, but not for my God, because with him, all things are possible. The dreams that I'm talking about are dreams like loved ones who are far from Christ. Surrendering their lives to God. Broken marriages being restored. Wayward children returning home and aligning themselves with both God and their families. Plentiful resources with which to maximize our generosity. A cleansing revival coming to northeast Florida. People overcoming their past hurts. 
their habits, their hang-ups, addictions to drugs and alcohol and sex and pornography and gambling laid at the foot of the cross, that life-giving churches all over this area would be filled to maximum capacity each and every time they hold service, that there would be hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands of small groups meeting in living rooms and in, in restaurants all over this community, giving life away to people, training them in the ways of faith, discipling them and causing people to grow in their walk with Jesus Christ. Men and women all over this community being developed as leaders, not just so they can serve within the four walls of the church, but so that they can go to their homes and their businesses and the community at large and make an incredible impact and add value to the world around them. Missions and outreach endeavors that plant the seed of the gospel and lead people to encounter Jesus both locally and globally. People healed of disease, the lame walking, the blind seeing, these are the kinds of dreams that I am dreaming right now. But here's the thing. Dreaming's dangerous. And to dream a dream, it requires something of you. To see a dream fulfilled, it requires something of each of us. A pastor in Augusta, Georgia, his name's Marty Baker, he said this. He said, just because you have a dream from God doesn't mean God's just going to make it all happen. You have to roll up your sleeves and get to work. Just because God's given you a dream doesn't mean that you can just sit back on the couch eating bonbons and potato chips and that he's going to take care of it. You're actually going to have to get up off of your hind end and do something about it. And that is why I'm here. I'm taking a step forward because I refuse to just be here and exist. I want to do something about the dream that God's placed in my heart. I want to do something about the people in this community that are lost and going to hell. I want to do something to make a difference so that I can know when I pass things off to my kids, to the next generation that comes after me, that I can leave a legacy that mattered and point them in the direction of doing the same. You got this card in your seat. I want you to take this home with you this week. It's got a verse on it. It's the verse that I read earlier. It said, one time Joseph had a dream. There's a prayer on there. Something that I want us to begin to pray together through this series. And then down at the bottom it says, one thing I am dreaming for is blank. What are you dreaming for? What's God put in your heart that you're dreaming for? What's the thing that matters that you're willing to sell out for? I want you to write that down. And over the course of these four weeks, you're going to get a new one of these every week. But over the course of these four weeks and then beyond, I want you to be reminded of these verses. I want you to spend time praying these prayers. Maybe you want to stick this like on your bathroom mirror or stick it in your Bible, your devotional book. Maybe you want to put it in your car, someplace that you're going to see it and you're going to be reminded of it. That this year I'm dreaming for God to do blank in my life. I'm dreaming for God to do blank in our church. I'm dreaming for God to use me to blank. Let's dream together. See, together, I want to invite you guys 
to partner with me in building a legacy, something that's going to outlast all of us. I want to invite you to join me over the coming weeks, months, for the next 35 years to dream a dream, but not just any dream, to dream a wild dream. Let's dream wildly, but let's not let it stop there. Let's roll up our sleeves, and together, let's get to work. Amen? Amen.